Good morning, friends. We are so glad to be here with you. If you don't know us, my name is Sarah and this is Micah and we're the lead pastors at the Vine Church in Kennewick, Washington. And thank you for joining us today. Um, virtually here, we're in our home and it's actually a little bit smoky here in our house. Yeah. We've been smelling the smoke for quite some time and so we just want to invite you guys to pray with us um, over the whole western part of the United States, there's just so many fires, um, and we've really been smelling it. I know I have some friends in California who evacuated this week, so we are definitely praying for rain and all the fires to cease. Absolutely. So this morning we're going to continue in the book of Esther. Um, but, you know, Sarah and I love doing outdoor activities. Uh, some of our favorite memories together, mm -hmm. some of my favorite memories as a kid revolve around camping trips, outdoor activities. And, um, you know, one of the amazing things about being outdoors, especially up in the mountains, is you get to come across wildlife in its habitat, right? And in general, uh, we've never felt cause to be real concerned about coming across animals. In fact, the few times I've come across black bear uh, out in the woods, um, the animal was quite alert, mm -hmm. saw me, and quickly ran away. Uh, however, there is one instance, one uh, occasion in which that might not be the case. Mm -hmm. When, uh, for instance, a mama bear has a cub near her. Um, that timid switch often kicks off and mm -hmm. a protective and potentially aggressive switch clicks on. Uh, at that point, the bear is much less afraid and much more willing to take action. And today we're going to talk about taking action. So last week we started looking at the book of Esther and the story of Esther. And we looked at the first three chapters. And I just want to recap that for us before we continue on with the story. The story, the setting is in Persia, and there are many Jews living in Persia at this time. And uh, it starts off with King Xerxes and his right-hand man, Haman. And King Xerxes and Haman both love power and love praise and, and adoration from people. And in a crazy turn of events, Esther becomes the new queen of Persia without the king and Haman knowing that Esther is Jewish, that Esther is a Jew. And as the story continues, the king promotes Haman and honors him and requires that everyone bow down to Haman. Well, there's, there's this one guy who refuses to bow down to Haman, and that's Mordecai, who's Esther's cousin. Well, Haman finds out that Mordecai is a Jew and so in his anger and rage, he seeks to destroy, to kill all the Jews in Persia because he dislikes this one man named Haman. There's a striking line that we ended with in the story last week that describes the king and Haman sitting down to drink wine while the rest of the city is bewildered because Haman has convinced the king to decree um, that all the Jews will be killed on a certain day. Yeah, so the state of most of the people at this point is bewilderment, unless, of course, you're a Jewish person. And they're wearing sackcloth, and they are mourning, and they are wailing, mm -hmm. and mm. they're fearful. I mean, can you imagine this decree has been made public and legal, 
your people will be wiped out. And uh, so they're wailing, and apparently Esther has not yet heard about the decree inside um, the palace. And so she sends out word to her cousin Mordecai saying, what's happening right now? And Mordecai sends back words saying, uh, in, in fact, sends her a copy of the edict saying, our people are going to be um, wiped out. And um, so, so Mordecai encourages her, you need to go to the king and ask for mercy and plead, uh, plead with him for the sake of your people. Now, as Sarah mentioned, she not previously revealed her identity. So this will come out of left field. Um, and even worse, she uh, is not invited at any time to come to the king's presence. In fact, anyone who approached the king without having been summoned uh, could be killed on the spot. So she, re she, re she replies to Mordecai, there's real risk in taking this sort of an action. And when Mordecai hears her response, he sends a message back to her. And there's some just really powerful statements in Mordecai's message. So I want to read what he sends back to her. It's found in Esther chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. This is what Mordecai says. He says, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your families and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mm. There's several just really striking um, phrases in here that I want to I want to highlight. He says, even if you don't go to the king and plead for your people. I know that relief and deliverance for the Jews will come from another place. And it's so interesting to see uh, Mordecai's confidence that they will be delivered because they're in, in a situation that is just really bad and really dire for them. And we mentioned this last week, but the author of Esther never mentions God in this story never mentions God. It's the only book of the Bible that never mentions God. And yet um, that was intentional. Here, it, here the, uh, the, the author is making the reader ask the question, well, why is Mordecai so confident when the situation is so bad? And the answer is, is it's because of God, because God is faithful and God will deliver his people. And yet, um, Mordecai says to Esther, God will deliver our people, but if you don't take action right now, then you, there will still be dire consequences. You and your father's family, you will perish. And then the most repeated line of Esther, Mordecai uh, says to Esther, he says, perhaps you've come to your royal position for such a time as this. You know, we each live in a specific place, in a specific time, with specific people, in a specific history and culture. And to Esther, Mordecai is saying, maybe your unique situation, your unique position as queen right now is so that you can take action in this moment. Again, unsaid by the author is that God is orchestrating this moment, even with all the evil and the injustice that has occurred to the Jews here, God is working for the good of his people. And Mordecai basically is saying to Esther, hey, you have a choice. You have a choice now. 
what are you going to do? Yeah, you can see the divine providence like, mm-hmm. in this moment. And so Esther is convinced it's time to take action. And the way she begins by taking action is saying, okay, I will go to the king, but first for three days, I want all of the mm-hmm. Jewish people to fast with me. Now, fasting was a common practice in Israel. Um, it had to do with giving up something, uh, in most cases food, and in this case food, uh, giving up food for a time of intentional engagement with God. It's a time of prayer or a time of mourning, but it is intentional time spent with God, having denied ourselves something Mm -hmm. else. So she says, for three days, we'll all fast together. And then after that, I will go to the king. And she says, and if I perish, I perish, which is a pretty bold statement. You know, I can only imagine the Mm -hmm. the fear um, and the emotions running around in Esther in this moment. This last week, we watched a movie for the first time, a new movie um, called Dora the Explorer. And it's a new Disney live version of, you know, a a classic story and a cartoon. I hear the song in my head right now as you talk, the little theme song. (laughs) Yeah. And so it it, it was actually a really good movie. And without giving any uh, spoilers, Dora is this girl who grows up. Her parents are explorers and she has all these outdoor skills, but very little social skills. Uh, Her best friend Mm -hmm. is a monkey. She goes to the big city and she and some friends from the city end up on this adventure out Mm -hmm. in the woods and the wild. And, um, And she makes a statement in there. She says, it's scary to be responsible for other people. It's easier to be alone. And I wonder if that's what Esther is experiencing in this moment, just the weight of knowing that she is responsible for her people in this time. And um, she's going to have to take action that puts her at risk for the sake of others. And so Esther, after fasting for three days with her community and praying for three days, Esther goes to the king. She um, is courageous in this moment and she chooses to take action and in the moment when she approaches the king without being summoned that's that which was against the law that's when the king could have chosen to to kill her because that was punishable by death and in that moment instead of killing her the king offers her whatever she wants up to half of his kingdom and so she asked the king to come to a banquet with her um, and she also invites Haman to come and so they come to and she says if you come to this banquet then I'll tell you my request I'll tell you what it is that I'm wanting and so they come and they enjoy the banquet but for whatever reason the timing didn't quite feel right and Esther postpones her request and says instead well, why don't you come tomorrow again for another banquet and then I'll give you my request Yeah, so as Haman leaves the banquet, he uh, is leaving through the city gates and he sees Mordecai there again. And Mordecai, again, does not bow to him. And in fact, the text says that that Mordecai didn't show fear towards Haman. Mm -hmm. And this enraged Haman. And so Haman went out and he found us, he he erected a 75 foot tall post that he intended to publicly Mm -hmm. execute Mordecai on. You know, Haman, like King Xerxes, they're similar in many ways. They both longed for human praise and for power 
above all else. But as we look at this character of Mordecai, we see uh, such a contrast. We see a man who found the courage and the strength to place his hope in more powerful places than kings or their right-hand man, than in power or in praise from other people, to place his hope, his trust Mm -hmm. in God. And so that night, the story unfolds. The king is unable to sleep. You know, all these coincidences piling up. The king is unable to sleep. And so he asked one of his servants to go get the book of Chronicles, which was like their history book where they wrote down the the affairs of the kingdom. You know, just a little bit of light light reading for, you know, I guess it was boring. It put him to sleep. I don't know. (laughs) So he asked his servant to bring in the Chronicles and then to read to him. And as his servant is reading, the king is reminded of something we talked about last week, just a little story of where Mordecai overheard some of the king's guards talking about their plan to assassinate the king. And so Mordecai told Esther, who in turn told the king, and and the king's life was saved. So the assassination was prevented at that time. And the king asks, well, what has been done to reward this Mordecai? What has been done to honor him? And he's surprised to find out that nothing has been done. And so the following morning, Haman comes in and and the king's thinking about this. And the king asks Haman, so Haman, what should I do if I want to honor someone? And, And Haman, completely full of himself and sure that the king couldn't want to honor anyone other than him, uh, describes to the king what he most desires. And, and what Haman said is like, well, you should put your royal robes on this person and set this person on your royal horse and have one of your noblemen lead him through the city and proclaim to all the people that this is a man in whom the king delights. And shockingly... <laughs> yeah, all the while Haman's thinking, ooh, this is my exactly. honor. Yeah. Um, Haman is shocked when the king agrees and says, yes, that's a great idea. I would like you to lead Mordecai through the city and do all these things for Mordecai. Again, we see, you know, with Esther not feeling like the time was quite right, postponing her request and this happening. I mean, you see just everything starting to line up. We see how God is working out the details for the good of his people. So uh, Haman, once again enraged, that's kind of just his character, I guess. Um, Once again enraged, he goes home and his friends and his counselors, his wife, they say to him, uh, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of, of Jewish origin, you cannot stand up against him. You will surely come to ruin. His wife and his friends tell him, "You, this is the end for you. You have come to ruin because this Mordecai that you have a grudge against is of Jewish descent. The man who's a, Mordecai, the man who's about to be honored by the king, and um, so we we find Haman in this position of realizing the end is mm. near." But what's interesting is it's attributed to their Jewish origins, their nationality. And sure, there's the fact that he has set himself against the Jewish people who Mordecai is now being honored. But I wonder if there's also a little bit of a deeper narrative here um, about a God who has been faithful to the Jewish people. Hmm. So the story continues. And... 
uh, Haman and the king come over to Esther's second banquet, and she finally makes her request. And, and what she requests of the king is she says to the king, grant me my life and spare my people. Grant me my life. So this was not what the king had expected whatsoever. The king was surprised and says, well, who would dare try to kill you, the queen? And then Esther points to Haman and says, it's Haman who's trying to kill me. And again, the king is enraged, so enraged that he leaves his glass of wine. Yeah, the text says that. He's so angry that he left a glass of wine behind. But it's just, he's enraged to hear that someone is is trying to kill the queen. And it's so interesting to me to look at the king's reaction here because King Xerxes approved Haman's plan. He was the one that allowed the decree to happen to kill all the Jews, but he had not connected this plan to any specific people. He not connected it to Esther, connected it to Mordecai who had saved him. And so it really highlights for me the importance of of narrative, the importance of story. You know, the king believed the narrative that Haman told him. You know, he said, these Jews, they keep to themselves. They're just different than everybody else. They don't obey your laws. And he even says, it's really not in your interest to even tolerate them. Just get rid of them. It was a shallow and dehumanizing narrative that, that had cast this negative generalization on an entire group of people. Mm-hmm. And, and the king just believed it. But here, when the king connects the narrative that he had heard and believed with specific people that he knew, his understanding of that narrative changed drastically. And I think there's a real pertinent lesson Mm -hmm. in there for us. You know, when we hear and encounter negative generalizations or stereotypes or prejudices, we're invited to dig deeper to dig deeper, to uncover a more honest narrative underneath. And always the the more honest narrative is complex and has lots of layers of history and culture and what's going on. Um, And it's always connected to people. I I was going to say it's relational. That is how we develop that. It's always connected to people, to individual people, and also to their communities Mm -hmm. in which they live. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a remarkable point. Uh, As we finish out the text that we're in for today, um, you remember Haman had set up that 75-foot-tall post to kill uh, Mordecai on well, the roles are reversed, and Haman loses his life in the way he had intended to take Mordecai's. And that's where we're going to stop today in this story. <laughs> um, so just a quick, a quick little recap here. Um, Mordecai urges Esther to go to the king, even though it's risking her life to plead for her people. And Esther shows great courage, and she does this. And after fasting and praying, and the king ends up listening to Esther, and he ends up killing Haman. Next week, we'll finish the story, and we'll talk about what happens to the Jewish people. You know, if I had to sum up what we read today, what we've gone through today, there's this one theme that really stands out. There are times 
when uh, either our action or our inaction mm -hmm. is going to have drastic effects, not just for ourselves, but often for many other people. And the fact that Esther uh, struggled with the decision to, but chose to take action, will have drastic effects. And it speaks a lot to her character as well. There are times mm -hmm. that our actions or our inaction will have drastic effects. You know, Esther, when she went to the king, she she said, save me and my people. Save me and my people. And that was such a timely and important request. That action there was so mm -hmm. important for her to take in that moment. You know, the injustice in this story is just appalling. That uh, the all the Jews in the entire kingdom um, would be sentenced to death because someone in power was angry with one specific mm -hmm. Jew. I mean, the injustice is is horrendous here, and it. I, I love Esther's plea for her people, and it leads us to ask the question: So, who are our people? Mm -hmm. For Esther, it was her fellow Jews who who had a similar background, who had similar similar heritage, um, who lived in this in this similar place and so had a similar experience. These were her people. But as we begin to consider application, we start to ask, well, who who are who are our people? Who are we to speak up for and mm -hmm. stand up for? And, you know, Jesus was asked a similar question by a teacher of the law. Yeah, the teacher of the law came to him and says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And he says, mm -hmm. well, you know the law. Tell me what it says. And the guy says, well, I need to love God with everything I am and love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus says, good. You got it. Go do that. And the man <laughs> says, ah, not good enough. It says he, he's trying to justify himself. And so he says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a parable. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. And we spoke on it a, a number of weeks ago. You can go back and listen to that if you want to hear it in detail. Uh, but he tells a story of a man who's um, been robbed and is laying in the road mm -hmm. and upstanding members of society just walking by on the other mm -hmm. side of the road. But a Samaritan, whom the Jews hated, um, comes by and he stops and he helps and he brings the guy to the city and cares for his needs at his own cost. And Jesus says, so who is the neighbor in this story? And the teacher of the law is forced to say the Samaritan, right? And I know it hurt when he said those words, but he's forced mm -hmm. to say, wow, the Samaritan. And what Jesus has done in that parable is he has broadened the definition of those that we are to love mm -hmm. as our love our neighbors those that we are to love far beyond our own racial group, the people that look, act, or have common experiences with us. And he has broadened it to all of humanity with a particular eye for those who might be in need around us. Hmm. So what is God inviting us into um, through this story of Esther? We are being invited to be good neighbors to see the suffering of others and not just walk on by, to respond with love and compassion. Like Esther, we're being invited to use our voice to stand up on behalf of others and to take action to help others. I keep thinking of that phrase for such a time as this, that Mordecai told Esther that maybe you're here for, for this reason, for such a time as this and I want us to ask and reflect well what's our such a time as this 
Like what, what do our times look like and, and why are we placed in these unique situations? It really requires us to answer that. It requires us to pay attention mm-hmm. to what's going on in our lives, um, close in our lives, in our homes, with our friends and families, but also in our community and in our region and nation and world. It requires us to know like what are the positive things happening? What are the harmful things happening? What actions might we be able to take that reflect the love and compassion of God? So I just want to challenge us today to to think about some of these questions. And for me personally, as I ask these questions, what really stood out to me this week is the invitation to take a deeper look at the narratives that we believe and the narratives that we tell about ourselves and about other people. You know, our narratives affect our friends and our our family. And I want to make sure that in my life, that in our lives, we're speaking life, we're speaking truth, we're speaking the love of Jesus into each other's narratives. And then to also look at the wider narratives that affect our communities and and our nation and world, to see people and to hear their stories um, and to take action to create a more loving and just and healthy place to live. You know, God is working and will continue to work to bring about his kingdom on earth. And he has asked us to be participants in his work, to be co-workers with him. So we have these unique opportunities. What unique opportunities is God providing for us this week? Yeah, we are here and now. Uh, we, You live in the community mm-hmm. that you do and in this time, and there is purpose in that. We live in the midst of COVID right now. Mm-hmm. We live in the midst of social and racial uh, unrest and tension in our nation. We um, live in the midst of friends and neighbors and strangers who are hurting mm-hmm. all around us at any given moment. This is our time. And it's time to take action. Mm. That's what we hear in the story of Esther today. So I want to close with this benediction. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear where God is leading in this time and in this place. And may we engage, take action, inviting God to accomplish remarkable things through us. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's pray together as we close. Dear God, we just thank you for who you are, Lord. We thank you that you are a God of love and mercy and compassion. And we thank you that you are a God who works for the good of your people, Lord. And and sometimes it's hard for us to see where you are working. Sometimes the situations seem, seem just really difficult and challenging. But Lord, we know that you are faithful. And so we hold on to that today. We ask that you would help us to see people, Lord, to see where you are working, to see where you are calling us to take action, that you would give us courage and strength to use our voices to help people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
as each week, we have a song for you if you want to go a little bit deeper on this theme or experience it in a different way. It's a song called Give Me Your Eyes by Brandon Heath. It's a number of years old. It was a favorite yeah. a decade ago. <laughs> uh, but it's a neat song that uh, both the video and the song uh, really um, beg this question of, God, how, how can I see people like you see and engage in the ways you're engaging? Well, friends, thank you for joining us today. Have a great week. Blessings. Bye.